I was uh, thinking through a couple things, and, you know, there's some kind of simple, I don't want to say meaningless things, but the little things that we do sometimes that I do in preparation for Sunday morning, like, like get the guitar ready, get microphones set up, get all of those things kind of together. I think through some of those things, and I go, this is where an intern would be really good. You know, you just have the person stand up, and I remember talking to one of our former general superintendents, and he was the president of our Bible college, and he was traveling overseas, and there was this big kind of Pentecostal world conference, and he was meeting with uh, kind, of a, kind of his counterpart in another fellowship the other side of the world, and this guy had an intern every year, all the time, and that intern did everything for him. Like, he'd get to the car door, and he'd open the door for him and his guests, and, and you know, he'd want a cup of coffee. He'd have the coffee ready on his desk, and, and, you know, all of the things that he had to do, the notes would be prepared. He'd be the guy to get the table, the music stand, the pulpit ready, all of those kinds of things. And kind of my friend would looked over at him and said, like, can you not do this stuff yourself? Like, are you really that special? And he's like, oh, no. He said, I can do it all. He said, I don't... That's not the point. He says, I don't really care whether the coffee is served to me or not. I don't really care if the kid opens the door for me or not. But he said, at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the internship, he said, we know where the heart of that student lies, whether he's a servant leader or not. And if they pass their internship and they're willing to do the tasks and they're willing to take those steps, he said, they're guaranteed a job in our organization at the end of this experience. And I said, I need one of those. So we're going to have a board meeting, and we're going to change Pastor Katie's job description this coming. <laughs> but it really is true that following Jesus really makes us servants of him. That there isn't anything that we are not willing to do. There isn't anywhere we're not willing to go, even if we really don't want to go. There's nothing we're not willing to do to follow Jesus and make his name known. There shouldn't be anything we're not willing to do to take those who are far from him and bring them closer to him. There really isn't any excuse not to. Because Jesus is the Lord of creation. Jesus is the source of our reconciliation. Jesus is the reason for our hope. Jesus is the strength to live a new life. Jesus is our Redeemer. He's 100% fully God. Jesus is the reason the cosmos exists and holds it all together. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the resurrected one. Jesus is the peacemaker between God and humanity. Jesus is the one who works mightily in us. You know, for the last three, four months that I've read that you'd think I haven't memorized by now. But Jesus is everything. And Jesus serves as the bridge between those who are far from God and those that are close. The very first week, we talked about the people that Jesus selected to be his followers. Now, we preach quite often that Jesus takes anybody that is willing. Jesus chooses anybody that's willing. If you are willing to take a step of faith, Jesus chooses you. Now, there are some that believe a little bit differently than we do, and that's okay. Just the way that they interpret Scripture is a little bit different. Some people believe that Jesus chooses people, and only the ones that he chooses are the ones that get to have a relationship with God. But our stance and position is, is that the gospel is open to anyone who is willing. 
And the reason that walls exist between us and God is because we haven't allowed Jesus to take those walls down. Now, you can disagree with me. I'm okay with that. We can have that conversation another time. But in really simple forms, that is what it comes down to in those differences. But Jesus chooses people who are willing because it didn't matter what people thought of him. It didn't matter what they said about him because Jesus did not come to make people happy. He didn't come to make everybody happy. He wasn't trying to impress the crowd. He was trying, and he is, I shouldn't say trying, what he was doing was ushering in the kingdom of God. He was bringing the kingdom of God to earth. He was bringing heaven to earth. You know, I love to talk about the fact that Jesus is coming soon. He's coming again, and he's going to make everything right. And that is worth celebrating. But he's not coming to take us away. He's coming to reconcile and restore and renew what he created and what was broken. And that is an exciting message. Jesus said, those who follow me, I have a promise for you. He says, I am with you always. I am with you always. He was not afraid to be associated with his disciples, even though they're a little bit rough around the edges like some of us today. Jesus said, if you follow me, you will obey my commandments. May I show my thankfulness to him by living a life that is pleasing to him. Not doing things that are right in my own eyes, not doing things that feel good, not doing things that I want to do, but doing things that pleases God in his eyes. He leaves us with everything that we need. He imparts his wisdom, his teaching, his character, his presence with us. He demonstrates to us. Our spiritual habits cause us to demonstrate our love for God. We must be prepared to have other, uh, others follow us as we follow Jesus. And last week, probably by the very fact that I did not preach in this church last Sunday, probably made the point enough of delegation that Jesus gives us the responsibility and the authority to do his work. Because here's the thing with delegation. No one likes to be told to do a job, but then have them micromanaged. Right? Does anyone here have a micromanager in your life? Pastor Katie didn't put up her hand. That's a really good thing. I was looking. I was watching. But nobody likes to be micromanaged. No one likes to be told how to do their job. Now, some people need to be told. They need to be taught. But Jesus taught us. We've talked about it the last seven weeks. Jesus has showed us how to do the job he called us to do. He's given us the tools to do the job that he's called us to do. He's given us the Holy Spirit, which is all that we need to do the job that he's called us to do. And I'm going to share something really profound with you this morning. Are you ready for this? You can answer this question in your mind if you want. How do you know what you're supposed to do on this earth? Hey, how do you know what you're supposed to do on this earth? As a follower of Jesus, how do you know what you're supposed to do? Do you want the answer to that question? Anybody want to know? It's really simple. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and do that. Now, God speaks through His Holy Spirit through His Bible, as Pastor Katie was holding up here and talking about just a moment ago. God speaks to us in our moments of prayer. God speaks to us through the voice of your pastors. God speaks to us through the voice of other believers. And sometimes God speaks to us through His nature, and God speaks to us in incredible, fantastic, unusual ways. God speaks to us through the voice of a child. 
It doesn't matter. But as, as we took that posture of praise and worship this morning, to say, Holy Spirit, I am here. I am open. I'm available. Come fill me up. As we take that posture each and every day, not just on Sunday morning, but as we take that posture, God is willing to speak to us in any way necessary. Now, some of us need to be hit over the head with a frying pan, myself included. Oh, okay. That, okay, I yeah, got my attention now. Or as Elizabeth likes to talk about getting hit by the holy train, getting hit by the Jesus train. She can tell you that story another time. But long and the short of it is, God wants you on that train, and you can either get on willingly or you're going to get hit by it. So, your choice. I'll tell you which one is better. All right, so today we're going to get into the one. So I said delegation. No one likes to be micromanaged. No one likes to be micromanaged. However, what is required is accountability. What is required is supervision. Now, for us supervisors in the room, you're like, yeah, everyone's got to listen to me, and I get to tell them how to do it. I don't know if you know this, but being a supervisor just means that when that person that is under you makes a mistake, that shows bad on you, not them, right? Right? Are you with me? Like, if they're the ones and they respond to you and report to you, and if they make a mistake, whose responsibility is it ultimate? Yours. And so you want to do everything in your power, everything you possibly can to make sure that they have the right tools, the right instructions, they want to know what the expectations are so that they can do their job well. And in some cases, it means getting on your hands and knees and getting a little bit dirty and showing them how to do a couple things. Now, if you're a parent, you do this all the time. Like, you can tell your kid to clean the room, but until you show them how, sometimes more than once, twice, three times, four times an hour, whatever, you know, whatever, you know that you have to teach again and again and again and again and again and again. And sometimes, finally, one day, that light bulb comes on, you walk into the room, and it's spotless after you've told them to clean the room. I don't know if anyone's ever had that praise report. I'm still praying. I'm still believing. I'm holding on to hope that one day when I say, hey, go and do this task, and I will come downstairs, and I will walk into the room, and it will be immaculate. And then, of course, if you read the parable of the talents, we say, those who have worked hard and been responsible for what the Lord has given them, they get more reward? No, they get more responsibility. So once they master the bedroom, they can move to the living room, the kitchen, and finally, praise God, we can get our kids to even clean the bathrooms. Woo! Praise God. Someone say amen. And then they move out and they get married or they move out and go to university and we got to do it ourselves again. So we downsize. I'm looking at a motorhome or an RV in about 40-something years. Probably just park it over in the parking lot here or something. All right. But we have to have supervision and accountability. With, I, I, I took a line from Spider-Man and I changed it. With great responsibility of delegation comes great accountability. Jesus had sent out his 12 disciples and said, hey, you've watched me, you've heard me teach, now go get out the door, go do what I did. And he gives them some specific instructions. And then they come back and they share our stories and reports, and he says to the 70, we don't know who the 70 are, but we assume that the first original 12 disciples were there, and then a bunch of others, 52 others were there, and he said, go out the door, get out, go do the things that I did, and go put your hands on the sick and heal them, and go do all of these things in my name. He sends them out. And in Mark 6.30, they all gather together around Jesus. It says the apostles gathered around Jesus. And this is the important word today. 
and reported to him what they had done and what they had taught. They reported to him what they had done and what they had taught. Jesus gave them instructions and gathered them together. Before he sent them out, we call that the briefing. And when they came back, he gave them the debrief. He debriefed them. We need to know the plan. We need to know what we have to do. Followers need the plan. We have to give them the instructions. They know the mission. They know what to do. They know how Jesus did it, and we know how he did it. When they return, they need to be debriefed and asked, how did it go? The weeks that I don't come on Thursday nights, I usually say to Pastor Katie, Friday or Sunday or Monday when we connect, how did it go? What happened? I wasn't away last week. I asked my wife, how did it go? Simple follow-up question. How did it go? But people need to know the mission, right? If they're going to be successful, they have to have the details. We call that the briefing. You know, our, our mission here is to love God, love others together. It's pretty simple, pretty scriptural. It's the greatest commandment, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In everything that you do, may it show love to our Heavenly Father. May it bring glory to Jesus in everything that we do. And the second greatest commandment, which is of equal importance, is love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says again in John 15, love one another. And so we do that. That is our personal mission. And as a church, it's our corporate mission that our community, that the North Shore would know that, one, God loves them and that we love them. And we know that it is better to do ministry together than it is alone. So Jesus sends out the 12. He didn't send out 12 individuals. He sent out six groups. He sent them two by two. When he sent out the 70, he didn't send out 70 groups. He sent them out in 35 groups. I did the math. That's great math, right? 35 times 2 is 70. It's good. I'm looking at Tracy. Is that right? You're pretty good in numbers. He sent them out in groups. Ministry following Jesus is not supposed to be done alone. We do it in community. It's a way that we're accountable to one another. We have a witness to what is happening. We do it together. And this is the instructions he gave. And so he's at the point, he says, it's time to follow up. A few weeks ago, we were blessed to go on vacation. And you guys know how much I like airplanes. And Pastor Katie talked about that today. And so naturally being in Hamilton, we had to go to the Hamilton airport. And we just had to go check out the Warplane Heritage Museum. It was also a good excuse to get together with some friends of ours and let the kids run around the hangar checking out all the cool warplanes and everything else. And as we're walking around the museum, it was really fascinating to kind of look behind us and look in the upper level of an office conference room. They had all these kind of these glass windows that are there. And as you walk in, you see all these guys sitting around the table. And so we're walking around the hangar and we see the, the big hangar door buzz. We hear it buzz and then we see it start to open and they're starting to, to move some of the planes out onto the, uh, out of the hangar and and they're getting ready to fly the big Lancaster uh, four-engine plane. And they want to get it ready for a test flight because they're preparing for their final flight of the season, the Remembrance Day flyover. And so they're moving the planes, and they're going to take it out and fuel it up. And as that work is happening, the guys are upstairs in the room 
planning out their course. Where are they going to fly? What speed and all of these things? What are they going to do when something goes wrong? And if this doesn't work, what's their alternate? And they go through all the different stages and steps. They go through everything in their briefing. And it was really cool to watch them plan. And then as they left that room, it was really cool to see them come down the stairs and start to follow through with that plan. You know, one person opened the door, the other person got the tug, the other person started to move the other airplanes, the other person, you know, started to move the chocks. All of these things started to come together. And we watched as they hooked up this giant aircraft to this tug and they started to, to push the plane out of the hangar. Really, I mean, I'm, I just, you know, I was in heaven, right? That's my, that's my bread and butter. And so then you know they're going to go and they're going to fly around. They're going to do their test flight. They're going to get ready, make sure everything's ready to go for Remembrance Day. And you know that when they come back from that flight, they're going to put everything away. They're going to do all the steps because everybody has a job to do. Everybody knows what they have to do. They're going to go back upstairs and they're going to ask the question, how did it go? What went well? What went wrong? What do we need to work on? What was something that we can celebrate? They go through all of these details to ensure a safe and successful flight. And so we see this happen in the Gospel of Mark and in Luke and in John and in Matthew. It says in Mark 6.30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him what they had done and what they had taught. Now, I don't know if you know this, but sometimes failure is important. Sometimes failure is important. We have to leave room for a controlled failure, right? We don't want anyone to go out right off the deep end, but we have to give space and we have to give grace and we have to show mercy to allow for failure because ideally, under proper supervision and under accountability, there isn't somewhere that you can go too far that you can't come back from. And so you say, hey, we didn't quite hit our target this time. We didn't quite make the trip as successful as it could have been. And here's why. We need to have that accountability and that supervision to say, this is why it didn't go well. And as we're going to talk in a few minutes, there was one particular situation where the disciples actually had a moment of failure as they were sent out. And we're going to get there in just a few minutes. And Jesus was able, because they took the time to be accountable to Jesus, he was actually able to bring some correction and proper next steps for their life. So, we are at this series, I think, in our, at this place in our series today where, where I think we're ready. I mean, we know the mission was God's people, or was people that were far from God. We know that that's our mission, to bring people that are far from God through Jesus, into his presence, into his family. I think we've reached a point in our series and story where we move from the instruction stage, we move from kind of hearing about and seeing the example to the doing stage. Jesus told them how, he showed them how, and they went and they did. Now it's time for them to assemble back together. I don't know if you liked getting report cards in school, um, but if you ever had a bad report card, I think the intention is, like, I never liked getting the N on the report card. Because the N means needs improvement. Now, I think, I don't know what it's like today. I think it's similar. But we used to have, like, the needs improvement. We used to have the satisfactory, the good enough. It should have just been a G, good enough. Good enough. I don't like you in my classroom. I'm going to give you a good enough to get you through the next class. 
Teachers over here are laughing, right? EAs are laughing. And then, of course, I don't know, there's the E for excellence. Ah, get the pat on the back for that one. Good job, Gary, excellent. But no one likes to get the needs improvement. It's not just an F. It wasn't just a fail. It's just an N. We're going to be kind. You didn't fail, but you need to improve. And ideally, that report card is going to spur you forward to say, hey, we've identified, and the, I mean, the, the letters are nice, but the comments are my favorite. Because the comments give the details. The, the, the write-up of the student gives the details. It says, this student can improve in this area to move that N to a good enough if they take these few steps. They can move from an N to an S when they take these steps. And if you as a parent are willing to help them at home, and we're able to help them at school, we can get them from an N to an S, and we can even get them all the way up to an E. Right? We can move from good enough to excellent. We can all use a little bit of accountability. All right, so let's look at this moment, because accountability is also a moment of celebration. All right, we talked about the failure. We're going to come back to it in a second. But accountability is also a moment for celebration. It's the job to hear, well done, you did it, great job, go team, way to go, success. It says that they reported to him all that they had done and they had taught. And so Luke 10, 17, I like the way that the Gospel of Luke captures this story. Their accountability is a moment of celebration. Someone say celebration. And so some pretty cool things happen, and there's some really good instructions in the way that we celebrate. Because Jesus is very careful not to let his disciples be full of pride. All right, this is what he says in Luke chapter 10, verse 17. It says the seven, okay, so let me just pause. I said he sent out 12. I said he sent out 70. Luke tells us that 72 were sent out. And so the, the point is, is that these are the same story from a different perspective. And so somebody got the head count wrong, and somebody reported it differently. So Luke says there's 72. Mark, I think, says that there were 70. That's not the point of the number, okay? We'll just, just go with it. Can you, can you bear with me on that one? Understand? Good. Perfect. So the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, this is really cool. Are you ready for this? You've probably read ahead already. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied in this moment of celebration. This is a really cool moment, right? When God shows up in our work, in our hands, Maybe you're just going about your everyday life and that one person you've been praying for comes up to you and just says something just changes in their life and you just see it. It's just amazing. Anyways, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Hey, you took a step of faith. You lived out the mission that you were called to do. You took a step of faith and lived out the purpose that God called you to. And as you took that step of faith, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. In other words, when you take a step of faith in Jesus' name, the enemy has no more power over you. The enemy has no more power or say because nothing can stand against God and prosper. Amen. Nothing to be afraid of because nothing can stand against us and prosper. I'm not telling you it's always going to be without hesitation. It's not going to be without conflict. But no matter what happens, Satan is powerless against you. 19, I have given you authority 
to trample on snakes and scorpions, to overcome all power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. And this is the part that we need to pay attention to as well. So in this moment of celebration, God's saying, look, you lived out your call, you lived out this moment, but he says, look, remember. However, do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you. Don't, in other words, don't let the power of Jesus go to your head. He says, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. In other words, rejoice that you are saved. The very mission that you've been called to, rejoice that you have been saved. Not about the cool things that God did through you, not the cool things the Spirit did through you, but rejoice in the fact that God saved you. And at this time, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little, like little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Again, Jesus is the method. And Jesus lays out for this beautiful example. So Jesus comes to earth to do the work of his Father. He has a mission. Jesus gathers some disciples, he gathers some followers, and he sends them out to do the work of the mission. They report back to Jesus, and Jesus celebrates with them in this moment. And he redirects them and says, celebrate your salvation. And then something cool in this moment we just read happens. He then turns his eyes towards heaven, and he says, praise my Father. Because just as Jesus is demanding us be accountable to him, Jesus is accountable and supervised by his heavenly Father. We talked about creation already this morning. We are created to bring praise and worship to God. We're created to bring him praise. And so Jesus models for us once again what it means to be a true follower, to be a part of the family of God. He says again, in this moment, it's not about me. It's about the work of my Father. I'm accountable to you, God. Look, God, what you've done. Look what you've done through me, Father. I sent out the people that have been reconciled to you. And they went out and they found more people. They blessed more people. More people were healed and brought into your family. Praise God for what you have done through me and through them. Do you see the pattern here? Do you start to see the pattern here? We kind of start to play multiple roles. Kind of like in a large organization where you have multi-leveled management and staff, and you have your, like, your regional manager, your local store managers, your employees, and keep going all, the way up to all, all of these things, right? You can, whatever your corporate structures are, you get it. Same thing in the kingdom. As we follow Jesus, we're accountable to him. He's accountable to the Father. As people, through our work, start to follow Jesus, they come to us and ask for more instruction, more knowledge, more curiosity, and as we send them out from the work that we've done, they come back and they tell us the stories of what God has done. They come to us with their problems. And as they bring those celebration moments, we remind them, hey, celebrate your salvation. Let's praise Jesus in this moment. It's kind of like what happens on Sunday morning. We can gather together. When we gather together, we can share the testimony and the encouragement. We can share what God has done and bring praise to him. Now, I said supervision and accountability are also used for correction. We jump back a little bit to Luke chapter 9, verse 49. We see that the disciples, they are sent out to do the incredible work of Jesus, and they come across some other people that are casting out demons and doing the work of Jesus as well. And these people are not part of the 70 or the 72. They're not part of the 12, and they kind of scratch their head and go, who are these people? 
They're not one of us. They're not part of our family, but yet they're talking in Jesus' name. They're preaching in Jesus' name. And they come back to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, kind of in their debrief, in their moment of accountability, they say, hey, we came across some people that were preaching in your name, that were casting out demons, and so they weren't one of us. Like, we didn't know who they were, and so we rebuked what they were doing. We stood against them, Jesus. And Jesus kind of goes, hold on here. Wait a minute. He says, if they're not working against you, if they're not coming against you, and they truly are operating in my spirit, if they truly are operating in the gifts, if they are working in my name and it's authentic, don't come against it. Celebrate them. Don't rebuke them. Celebrate them. And so often, it, it can be easy for us to look you know, across the street, look down the road at another church, and say, well, you know, they don't believe what we believe, therefore it can't be true. And maybe we firmly believe that in some ways, but here's, here's my heart and here's my prayer. I pray that, you know, Grace Baptist Church and Scriber with Bill Morgan, I pray that people would come to know Jesus through their ministry. They may worship a little bit different than us. They may think about Jesus in different ways. But if they're bringing people to Jesus, I want to celebrate that new life and that transformation that's taken place. You know, a few weeks ago, Father Terry called me and said, hey, would you like to do a video on the Gospel of Luke, particular chapter? I can't even remember what it was now. He said, would you come to Scriber? And so that you could probably find it, the Thunder Bay Street Gospel. You'll find Pastor Gary standing in front of the grotto at Holy Angels in Scriber, sharing the good news of Jesus. I pray that through our Catholic church here in Terrace Bay and in Scriber and even in Rossport, that they would see people come to faith in Jesus. I pray that they would become part of God's family. I know there's differences. I know that there's things that we believe differently about, and that's okay. We can work through that. But if God is doing a great work somewhere else, we don't want to come against it. We want to partner with it. We want to celebrate it because at the end of the day, it's all about celebrating what God has done in us. It's all about celebrating what God has done because of who he is. So what does accountability look like? Accountability, accountability looks like praying and celebrating Jesus and the Father, following every activity. Being accountable means we share the joy of what God has done. We share the joy with our pastors. We share the joy of what God has done with our church and in our teams as we serve in our teams. We're accountable for sharing the joy. It's encouraging, but it's also showing that we are who we say we are. It shows that we're living out God's plan in our lives. Accountability means that, hey, maybe we could try it this way next time. Hey, maybe that didn't go quite so well. Why don't we work on that? Because it's okay if we don't get it right every time. Right? Jesus gives us grace. He gives us mercy. He just redirects. Right? A good leader redirects. And he just says, look, don't come against these guys. Partner with them. They're not against you. They're for me. Then just go for it. And it says, hey, you know what? Maybe we got to do some of these things a little bit different, and we're going to do it a little bit better. It's okay. Being open, being transparent, and being humble. It's not always about the work and the ministry. Part of the ministry in following Jesus is taking the time to pray, to learn, to teach, to worship, to work, and celebrate and rest. Say that again. Following Jesus is taking time to pray, to learn, to teach, to worship, to work, and celebrate and rest. I intentionally pick seven things because there's seven days in a week. 
take a day to pray, take a day to learn, take a day to teach, take a day to work, take a day to celebrate, take a day to rest. Find moments where, as we're serving God, make yourself available to His Spirit. I'm not telling you to, you know, quit your job and just do this full time. But as you go, that's the command that Jesus gives us. He says, you know, go and make disciples. It should be translated as you go, wherever you go, when you go to work. You know, be open to the work of the Holy Spirit. And that might mean, for some of us, be quiet. <laughs> Pastor Gary, just be quiet. It's 12 o'clock. It's after 12, sorry. Ooh. Time's flying. Lunch is burning, Pastor. Keep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to confess to you. I had to so accountability, full transparency. You guys know that Pastor Gary can talk sometimes. Some pastors are really good, right? Like 32 and a half minutes in three milliseconds, they're done. That's not Pastor Gary. And he all said, yeah, amen. Last Sunday, I was in Manitowoc. Pastor Peter Ruel is the pastor there, and he was away doing a funeral. And he said, hey, it was like earlier in the week, he said, hey, could you come to my church while I go to this funeral and preach? Or you were, he actually asked if any three of us could go and Elizabeth's like, I'll go preach, but I don't want to do the drive. And so I said, fine, I'll do the drive. And so I've done an, I've done an incredible amount of driving this week. It's ridiculous, all, all to the glory of God. But it's been, it's been nuts. Anyways, I know that Pastor Peter is a long-winded speaker. And so I wrote my notes, and I kind of went, like, I got lots of time to preach. And I looked up from my notes. I was about halfway through and it was about 10 after 12. I looked at the recording of their service afterwards, and I preached for about an hour and five minutes last week. And I had to go to Pastor Beth, who's their kind of kids and worship pastor, and I said, I'm so sorry. Like, that was really long. Saw Pastor Peter yesterday at our section pastor event in Hornpain. I said, hey, hey, Peter, I know that you're long-winded, but I'm so sorry. I, I talked way too long. And I could tell, and the only reason I looked at the clock is because I could tell by the last, at least the last 10 minutes, everybody was like, I'm done, Pastor Gary. Like, this is great, but I'm hungry now. And so, you know what that means? That today I preached for 35 minutes instead of 65 minutes. <laughs> But that was his church. I'm accountable to him because that was his church, not mine. I'm not going to hold you hostage. If, I, if it's that long, call in the hostage negotiator, okay? Because just throw something at me at that point. Like I said to Beth, I said, I said at like 5 to 12, I said, you should have been throwing stuff at me. Like it was crazy. Brandon's ready to go. Point is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of accountability. Don't be afraid of the correction, but really, don't be afraid of the celebration that comes because God is doing something good. I shared with you that there's prayer requests that have come in and there's prayer requests that God has answered. I'm not the only one with those stories. You have those stories, so celebrate, and we're accountable when we share those stories because it shows the glory of God working through us. It's amazing. It's amazing. So let me pray a prayer of blessing over you today. Heavenly Father, I bless every man, woman, and child who is gathered to hear from your word today. Lord, whether online, in person, or whether they're going to watch it later or not. 
Lord, I just thank you so much for the call you've placed on us, the mission that you've given us, the vision, oh God, to reach the North Shore for Jesus. Lord, we know that there are many people outside of our community, outside of the walls of this building, oh God, who are far from you right now. And Lord, you are longing for them to come home. Lord, you don't care the background, you don't care where they're at. Lord, you just care about where they could be in your family. And Lord, I thank you for your grace and your forgiveness and your mercy to extend, Lord, through us to those around us. Lord, may we walk in freedom in your spirit. Lord, may the spirit go before us because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So may we make ourselves available to you, O God. Lord, in our time of prayer, as a time of our sharing and celebration, may we encourage one another in this journey of faith. Lord, when the name of somebody comes to our mind, would we pick up the phone and call them, drive to their house to see them, do whatever it takes, O God, to be accountable to one another, to be accountable to you, O God. Lord, as we talk about our other churches, Lord, I pray for St. Martin's and Holy Angels and Grace Baptist Church and for our community church, O God, we pray that they would see people come to faith in you as well. Lord, may they do things that would bring people that are far from God into a relationship with you, Heavenly Father. Lord, may we encourage one another as we go forward from this place. Lord, I just pray a blessing over each one now. May we go with grace. May we go with peace. May we go with the power of your Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.